Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome back to 32 Fans in 32 Days. I'm here, as always, by myself. Alex Chester has four kids and now no podcasts. He's, he's done. No, he probably has a podcast. He probably didn't skip a week of the Pretty Good Curb podcast with Av. I'm guessing he still did that. But he's not here for, I think this is the third one I'm doing on my own. Uh, Akiva, famously tech incompetent, is recording episodes by himself and just praying for the best. Uh, hoping no edits are, edits are needed, because I certainly would not ho- know how to make them. Uh, and we're back with a returning champion, uh, uh, a frequent giant guest. I think this is the second or third or fourth time on the podcast. Yoni Wiesel talking the New York Football Giants. Yoni, are you here? What's going on? Returning champion? Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, if you're on Jeopardy, you would come back the next night because you won. If you were, like, horrendous, we, would, we wouldn't have asked you again, probably. Right. Unlike the person who said they were going to go 16-0 that year. Yeah, I mean, the truth is, yeah, the famous Giants preview of, of Josh Berliner, when he sort of did an amazing bit where he just, we did the schedule game and he very sort of like subtly had them going 16 and 0, but we didn't catch on until like nine or 10 that we started laughing. I think we had Josh on again after that. Uh, he, you know, he's welcome to come back if he's, if he's interested at some point. But uh, yeah, we, Yoni's, been, Yoni's been on for, um, Yoni, you were like the white whale in the old Ari Gold 32 fans days because we would always have like scheduling snafus, right? Like I'd be like, Hey, do you want a podcast? And then like, you'd fall asleep or I'd fall asleep or like your, your like roof would cave in or your internet would die. Or I accidentally, you were supposed to be on and like at nine Oh two, you weren't there. I'm like, all right, finding a new giants fan. He's two minutes late. So you, you, it took a long time to have you, but now I feel like we've been uh, in a better, in a better place. Yeah. I think we're sort of set now. uh, Yeah. With these previews and I'm happy last year we didn't do it. I think last year you did some sort of a, you and Alex just ran through some stuff. You sent me some questions that I had really bad answers to and thankfully didn't mm-hmm. send because they were, it was real bad. Um, I had all sorts oh, I of- I forgot, yeah, we sent listeners questions. Yeah, yeah because, because we weren't, we didn't do any fans. We quit the fans last year. It was just 32 days, no fans. Uh, yeah. But I, I like the fans better because it's less research for me. You know, you just ask a question and then you get the guy going and he knows, you know, he knows the team better than me. Yeah. Back in, in like when I was working for NBC and I really was like, I, I really knew it was flying on all 32 teams, like backwards and forwards. I would get in the, when I, in our goal is I would get in the fights with the fan. Like I would for sure know their team better. And it was just like a lot of screaming matches. Uh, I don't know if those shows are still available, but it was like, I just get on with the Dolphins fan. We just like yell about like, who's better the Jets or the Dolphins for 32 minutes. They were like really bizarre podcasts. Nothing like the modern 32 fans. It was just like, we, whoever was the guest could not be the guest the next year. Cause like we were no longer on speaking terms with them. 
It was very strange. We've we've grown up a lot in the last ten years, Yoni. Yeah. Clearly, clearly. I mean, Alex must have done a lot to keep you in check. I'm guessing. Yeah, Alex is really he's the you know he's he's the mature one. Uh, I, I want to go straight to to Daniel Jones because I was thinking about this when we were talking to the our Cowboys fan, which was the one I recorded before. This is Jordan Parhar. I feel like Daniel Jones' basement and ceiling is is so it has so much variance because if he was out of the league in four years and like this was his sort of Josh Freeman season last year where it's like, all right, he was like playing above his head. And I like, okay, I'd say like, that's normal. And if you told me Daniel Jones, like a perennial, I don't think his ceiling is like becoming, um, what is Daniel Jones? All right. Let me ask you, what is Daniel Jones ceiling? So this is a really good question. I, I actually disagree with you on the first part here. And generally just to throw this out there um, and it may be clear as time goes on, I'm not one of those fans who uh, has a rosy picture all the time, who always assumes the best. Um, yeah, you're a famous <laughs> Gettleman hater. You loathe Dave Gettleman. You come on I am, every year. I am such yeah. a Gettleman hater that when you sent the email last year asking about the team, I basically said, I hope Daniel Jones fails so that Gettleman will get fired because the only way this team will ever be good is if Gettleman is gone. Um, that I kind of have taken a step back on that because um, Daniel Jones really is the only thing that matters at this point for the team you know, considering where they are uh, in their trajectory building. Um, and I don't agree with you that I would be very surprised if Daniel Jones is out of the league in four years. He, he really, really surprised me last year. He surprised a lot of people, I think. Um, I think most people um, either, either want to see more from him because he didn't play at a big college program, or they'll point to all the turnovers and, you know, think that that's a reason why he may have issues. Well, the fumbles, um, interceptions, you can change easier than fumbles, in my opinion. Fumbles could be a, a you know, a, a tech problem. It could be a hand size issue. Like, there's a lot of reasons why someone fumbles. And, like, and not that, not that uh, say, let's say somebody like Jameis fixed their interception problem. And we've seen plenty right. of, you know, the Testaveris of the world who came in uh, throwing interceptions and left the league 25 years later throwing interceptions. Like, it's possible to fix, but it's not automatic. But the fact that he fumbles, I think he fumbled 10 times last year. It, like, he is a turnover machine. Right. So, so the fumbles definitely show a lack of pocket awareness. That is a big issue. And, and it's, it's tough because some of the best things that we saw Daniel Jones do were when he really stuck in the pocket and made incredible throws under intense pressure. The problem is if he's the, the, the flip side of that is that sometimes he doesn't notice the pressure and he and he ends up fumbling when it hits him. So, you know, I don't know if part of fixing the fumbles, getting the ball out faster would take away from some of those amazing plays or, Maybe that's just who he is. Um, I'm not sure. Supposedly he put on a whole lot of muscle this offseason to try to alleviate some of that. But, you know, who, who doesn't do that in the offseason? As, as we well know, everyone comes in the best shape of their life um, for, each, uh, for each training camp each year. So he's definitely doing some work to, to get past that fumble problem. But, but even with that, even, even if he has the same year he did last year a bunch of times, you know, maybe improving a little bit on the turnovers. I still think that that's a quarterback who can stick in the league. Like he, he really did a lot of impressive things. He was, he was a very, I, I think he's, you know, objectively looking to be a, a, a good minimum, good quarterback who can stick around the league, middle of the pack, maybe at least like the 20th best quarterback in the league. Um, even if he doesn't do a ton of correcting as you no, know, I mean, I'm not a scout or anything like that. I don't, I don't watch the tapes from a lot of stuff I've heard on different podcasts. He, he has serious issues with the zone defense. He's great against man. He's amazing. He's like a top five quarterback last year against man. I'm like a bottom three quarterback against zone. Um, so if he doesn't fix that, obviously everyone's just going to 
throw zones at him and he'll never really get anywhere. Um, but, you know, he's, from everything we hear about him, from, from his MO all along, he's a smart kid. He's a very hard worker. Um, you know, he, he's the type of guy who is certainly going to be trying to get better. This, this isn't going to be, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he's just going to let things go uh, how they've been and, and uh, just come back each year like that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, you know, we started with Daniel Jones because I was just thinking about him, but I do really want to get into, into the judge. So what have you seen? It's a weird year to judge a rookie coach in general, no pun intended, because you're not going to yeah. see any, you know, the first game he's ever going to coach on any level, right. Is a, is a, is a regular season game. Um, you know, you, it's, it's a very bizarre, it's almost like, you know, how good are your tech skills and how good is your sort of like it department and how, you know, how well are the, assistant coaches running meetings and stuff. It's such a bizarre year for um, a rookie head coach, especially like, a, you know, not just a, a new head coach in the building, but a guy who's never been a head coach before. So what have you seen from Joe Judge? Has he with the media? Has, you know, is it, has he said anything gettlesome-ish that's trouble, troubling? Do you like him? What's, what's the deal with Joe Judge? So early on at the first introductory press conference, he said a lot of things that most people liked. You know, he gave, he gave all the hard-nosed platitudes. We don't judge, you know. People point to it as being very Belichickian because as he, you know, people probably know he came off, uh, he's coming from the Patriots. He was their special teams coach for a number of years. Before that, he was an adult at Alabama with Nick Saban. Um, so he's been with, with these hard-nosed type of head coaches who, who, who uh, you know, they, they actually live the platitudes. You know, they, they coach like, uh, you know, every man's the same. We, we, uh, we try to do things to, we, we coach the strengths of our players, stuff like that. Um, you know, most people heard that as, as Giants fans and they're coming off Pat Shermer and uh, Ben McAdoo, they were thrilled. That was all they needed to hear. And I was like, you know, that's kind of generic. It literally means nothing. And great. He's saying the right things, but you know, we we're, we're really, we can't be such, you know, uh, such a, such an abused fan base that even hearing someone say something decent in their first initial press conference is going to set everyone off that way. Um, but again, most fans are, uh, you know, optimistic, um, like to be optimistic. I get that. Um, but he, uh, but, but, you know, he did a lot, a lot of other Belichickian type things early on. He famously didn't mention Daniel Jones's name once in any of like his first few months of press conferences that he did. Like the name literally didn't, didn't leave. As if he was a rookie. Yeah. Like what? As if he was a rookie. Like sometimes you don't say a freshman's no, name, let's say in college or, you know. No, it was, no, no, it was more of a, like, he wouldn't even mention who, who he's excited about coaching, who the, who the quarter, who the players, he didn't mention any names of players on the team. Like, so he's he just being generic and boring in the Belichick style, you're saying. Somewhat, yeah. But to Giants fans, that's super exciting. To the Giants media, that was super exciting. You know, the Giants, Giants fans, the Giants like to believe, we like to believe that we're that hard-nosed team. We're one of the original, original NFL teams. We're all defense. We're running. We're, you know, we're, we're this super old school team that we actually literally haven't been in like 20 years at least, um, despite winning Super Bowls on the backs of the, the defensive line. Like this has always been like, you know, this has been an offense first team for, for, and a throwing team for so long. Um, so, so everyone likes, you know, they like to hear that stuff. Like, it feels authentic Giants to them. But um, you know, he's personally, I think it's just way too early. This, this has been a straight, you know, with a strange off season, we, we really don't know anything. Um, we're not going to know anything even through the first year. We probably won't know too much. The, the, the famous thing he's doing right now, which is another, uh, you know, old school, hardcore thing is, uh, yes, yesterday, the giants had their first, um, first live practice and pads. 
And every time people missed assignments or screwed up something, he made them run laps like they were in grade school. Yeah, um, that, that, that made the uh, national news, yeah. Yeah, and, and all the Giants writers and stuff were all very like, oh, this is great. He's hard-nosed. He's tough. He's, you know, kind of, they'll pay like some lip service to the fact that adults don't like to be treated like they're in high school. But, you know, there were a few players who came out and said the right thing also. And it's possible a lot of these players are just happy to have someone who seems like they know what they're doing. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that goes, but, but this, this seems to be, he's bringing, definitely bringing a very old school type mentality. Um, I think the thing that I'm more excited about with him is his coaching staff. I think he did a really interesting job of putting together his coaching staff. Um, he brought in a number of ex-head coaches or people who are head coaches in other places that can be really helpful for a guy like him. Who's literally never been, I don't even think he's been, he's been a coordinator anywhere. He's really right. just been, you know, special teams coach. And last year they gave him the tag of wide receivers coach. Uh, but he's really never had any sort of a head coaching type position. So having, they actually have, I think, three guys on the roster who are former head, three uh, assistant coaches who are former head coaches. Um, famously, they have their offensive coordinator is Jason Garrett, who just came over from yeah. the Cowboys. You have the most um, famous offensive coordinator in Garrett, but you also have maybe the least known D coordinator in Patrick Graham. Yes, who's coming over. That was an interesting one also. He's, he's also part of uh, the Belichickian tree, so they work together in, in New England. Um, but he has only, he was defensive coordinator for the Dolphins last year who mm -hmm. didn't really have anything going on in their defense that would make anyone say, Oh, that's the guy we need to get. Right. Um, at least he has but, DC experience. Like he's not, uh, he wasn't like a quality control coach in New England. They hired as a DC. Right. No, that's true. I think they took the quality control people also. So they have, I'm sure. So they have, so they're the offensive coordinator of Jason Garrett, their uh, tight ends coach, who's also like an assistant head coach is Freddie Kitchens. Yeah. who um, was, was famously a terrible head coach, but, you know, he was a great offensive coordinator. Yeah, he's overqualified to be a tight ends coach, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and on the, the defensive side, they have uh, Brett Bielma, who's the coach at, uh, head coach at Wisconsin. And um, Arkansas, I think, or... Yes, Wisconsin and Arkansas. Yeah, he went yeah. from Wisconsin. He was great at Wisconsin, went to Arkansas and flamed out the SEC. Right, and then after that, he went over to New England, and he was a defensive, one of the defensive coaches for uh, Belichick, and um, mm -hmm. Judge brought him over, too. Um, so the yeah. staff looks good. The staff, there's mm -hmm. a lot of guys there to be excited about as far as that goes. But for Joe Judge, I, you know, he says a lot of the right things. He looks the part, but you know, we'll see what happens when when games start. All right. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's really no way to judge. No, again, I'm not. I'm not trying to make any sort of pun. It's just it happens uh, about about your about your coach. Um, all right. By the way, the my, the funniest thing looking through this roster is that uh, Saquon's backup. Is is Dion Lewis who like who yes. knew that Dion Lewis was still in the NFL? Dion Lewis like is one of those guys who you thought was like a second year player when he was like at his best on the Patriots, but really he had sort of like bummed around like the waiver wire for five years and was actually like twenty eight then, and now has been like completely washed for like you know a few years in Tennessee. I don't even it, maybe he's like let's play the age game with Dion Lewis. How old do you think he is? Oh, I would have guessed like 32, 33, but but now I think that's too old. You know, like how long ago was this? He wouldn't still be in the league. Either. Yeah. So actually, uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I would guess 30. Yeah, so he's 29. Um, he's turning 30 in a month. Okay. So this is age 30 season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm making fun of some for someone being old who I'm exactly you know one day plus seven years older than. So maybe I'm you know if he's washed up, got you know what am I? Um, but yeah, that, that just made me laugh that uh, that the bat you know Wayne Gallman who's in his fourth year in the NFL but it feels like his 30th year of doing absolutely nothing. Uh, and Dion, those are, those are Saquon's backups. Do you think, what are the chances that this is Saquon's best year of the three? What do you think? Um, 
what are the chances? I, I don't know. I still think the rookie year will probably stand out for at least another year, although the Giants do have their best offensive line that they've had by far in his three years and probably in the last, mm-hmm. you know, decade, close to a decade since their last Super Bowl, maybe. Um, so that should be helpful, although there's really no cohesion because it's a bunch of – they only have two returning guys in the spots that they were – that they're returning in. Um, so – that could be a, that could be a challenge to uh, even though the, the the talent is much much better. We're well, starting you're starting um, rookie tackles on both sides, right? So I don't think that that right now, if you look at look up a depth chart, they'll say that that Matt Peart, their their third round pick, who is actually a supplemental pick, late like picks like ninety nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they are listing him currently as a starting right tackle. I think it's it, he's almost definitely not going to be the starting right tackle. Um, it's more likely they're going to be Cameron Fleming or Nick Gates. Mm-hmm. Um, Although they're trying Nick Gates out at center too, I think they hope Nick Gates will be the starting center. They and don't then, really have a center, right? I, I, I see Spencer Pulley's in there. Like a, yeah. no, nobody so here is Pulley, really a name. Right, Pulley was their starting center last year um, before getting hurt. I think in the middle of the year, um, so he has experience playing there. He's just not very good. Um, so I don't. So it's possible he gets it just by default. But they've been working out Nick Gates and 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 their fifth round draft pick Shane Lemieux was also who's a guard guard from Oregon. Um, he's been, they've been working him out at center also. He's way too raw to get any time, but I would think it's either Nick Gates or Spencer Pulley at this point who are, uh, are going to be the ones to. Who but for a team that drafted, you know, two tackles, this was a, you know, may, at worst, the slightly below average offensive line. This was not like, you know, it wasn't like Jones was running for his life and he was getting hit, you know, to the degree of, you know, that there were four um, or five lines last year that couldn't block. I think Pro Football Focus had him like 20th. I think uh, Football Outsiders had him bad, but not like just absolutely atrocious. I, that may speak to the people who are beneath them because their offensive line was pretty bad last year for the most part. Um, it, it was, it was pretty bad. O- over time, it got a little bit better. They had Mike Remmers at right tackle who started off a little rough, but actually held together and had a pretty solid year and left tackle was Nate Solder who had a, a lot of issues, but um, you know, isn't, wasn't completely incompetent for most of the year. Uh, Will Hernandez actually took a step back next to, next to, uh, to Nate Solder, which I kind of blame on Nate Solder a little bit because I feel like he's uh, was a bit toxic, but um, hopefully they should all, everyone should be a little bit better, a little bit older. It's a pretty young line outside of Kevin Zeitler, who's, you know, a consummate all-pro, a former all-pro, but a consummate professional who, you know, is going to do a good job. Um, but he, so, so it will be a better offensive line for him. Um, it's, it's yet to be seen how they're going to structure their offense, if they're going to be handing him the ball a lot, if they're going to try to get him out in space, some, some pass, screen passes and stuff, some stuff that um, you know, Pat Shermer didn't really do nearly enough of, um, but, but but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what they're able to do with him. You know, he's he's unquestionably the best player on the roster. So you know, hopefully they can they can uh, actually uh, do some things with him as opposed to what they did in the past. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the same way I described their offensive line is probably like slightly below average as long as the the center spot isn't just you know the worst in the league, which is possible. I mean, they don't have a center right now, basically. It is possible. I'd say I'd say the the receiver spot is also like probably slightly below average with not a ton of upside, but also like a, as long as people stay healthy, like a decent floor. You have Tate, Shepard, Slayton, uh, and then all the CC guys: Cody Core, Corey Coleman. Uh, what, what do you think about the, what, the receiver position? Are, are you higher on it than me or? Yes. Yeah, so, so as far as average league, talking about it as from a league average perspective, there's so many good receiving cores in the league that, to, you know, what it means to be league average, you know, I, I don't really want to look at it that way so much, but I do think this is definitely uh, a very good receiver group, barring health, of course. 
Um, you know, Darius Slayton, to most people outside of New York and outside of a few weeks of fantasy, um, probably don't know who he is. Uh, he was a fifth round pick out of Auburn last year and was injured for the first few weeks of the season. And from the time he came back, he was phenomenal. And he is, I would say, unquestionably the number one on the receiver on this team. Wow. Um, he is, he, he did a lot of things that um, show that it was not a fluke. It's not, he, he was a bit of a speed guy coming out, but, but he showed a ton, a ton of nuance in, in, his, in his routes. And um, he really is someone who Giants fans are really excited about. Like he's, he could be, you know, he, he definitely has number one receiver potential based on what he showed last year. And that was a, a really phenomenal pick by, uh, by Dave Gettleman um, in the fifth round last year. Um, Shepard is, is a good, is also, a, it's a, he's a solid receiver, good receiver. Can't stay on the field um, also. Very big, but he has a big concussion issue where he could literally, his next pick could literally be his last. Yeah, I would, say, I would say Sterling Shepard is like, yeah, he's, he's one, he's maybe one to two injuries away from just, uh, yeah. you know, being at the end of his row. Because, yeah, he, he, you know, you look at a per-game basis, he's actually pretty good. He's one of these guys, like, if you know he's got a spot in fantasy, like, oh, that's a good, like, third receiver when there's buys and stuff. But um, I don't know. He, it, it seems like he can't complete a game half the time. Yeah, he, uh, yeah so he could be out at any moment. Um, Golden Tate is still basically the Golden Tate of the last few years. You know, he doesn't get much separation, but he's got good hands and he can run after the catch. Um, but, you know, he, again, he's also in his early 30s. At any point, a guy like him could fall off too. Um, but he was pretty good after he came back from suspension last year. And, um, you know, I think it's, a, it's actually a pretty good three-man group, especially when you count, when you think about Saquon coming out of the backfield, being yeah. one of the best receiving running backs. Right, right. And, and Evan Ingram. The, the truth and is, Evan I was Ingram. thinking about this. Uh, I was reading about a long piece about, uh, like, advanced metrics uh, with regard to receiver separation. I don't know if you saw this. Evan Ingram got more separation by almost, like, double than any other player in the NFL. No, like he, he is always wild. open. And part of that means that they're probably, you know, they were probably getting him the ball, uh, you know, in sort of shorter yard swing pass type things where maybe he was, he was not near a safety or, or a linebacker or something. But to, but to have like, it was almost like, it was literally almost double the second guy in the league. It to me shows like some sort of elite skill and you watch him and it makes sense. I do, I do think in a really good offense, Evan Ingram would be an all pro. He would be a superstar. If this, yeah. if this offense is humming, then it'll, you know, he'll be, he, I think he may even lead the team in, in receptions and receiving. It's, I mean, a big part of that is just being able to stay on the field. Like a lot of the other guys in this roster, he's always hurt. So, you know, if he can stay on the field, I think, yeah, there's a really good chance he can be, he can be a, you know, top level tight end from an offensive perspective, from a receiving perspective. Obviously he has blocking issues, not as awful as everyone assumes, but, but not good. Um, but if he, yeah, if he could stay on the field, this, the Giants offense in total can be really, really good. Um, if they keep everyone healthy, you know, the backups, there's not much to talk about there. Corey Coleman, uh, you know, coming off a torn ACL, they say he looked, he looked good in camp so far, um, in the one day of camp, I guess. Um, so if he's not showing real ill effects of the injury, you know, he could be an interesting guy, but they're really the, the biggest issue this, this roster has top to bottom is depth. The depth on this roster is, is non-existent. And if anyone gets hurt, you know, they're in big trouble. But, but if the offense stays healthy, this can be a very good offense. If, if Jones can, you know, build upon what he did last year and, and cut back on, on, uh, on the, the turnovers a little bit. This really has potential to be a very, very good offense, which it's going to need to be if they plan on winning any games. Yeah, I agree. There's not a lot of backups, uh, you know, of note in any position. Cole McCoy is the backup QB. I haven't talked about him yet. Uh, not a lot of names you'll recognize on offense or defense. They really... They didn't have a, I, I, I don't know if they hadn't, yeah, I think they had uh, draft 
uh, picks in every round, but maybe the fifth. But they really went heavy on a couple positions, right? I think they drafted three offensive linemen and right. at least three uh, defensive backs. Right, so they drafted so, some, right, they drafted three offensive linemen in the first, third, and fifth. Then in the second, they took a safety. Uh, in the fourth, they took a cornerback. And then in like the fifth, the sixth round, they had like three picks at the end of the draft that they used on like linebackers that are probably not going to make the roster. But yeah, they were, they were very focused on certain positions within the draft this year. Yeah, so they're right. So there isn't a ton of depth. Let's switch to the defense. So uh, let's start by talking about Leonard Williams. We fleeced you guys last year for Leonard Williams, who, you yeah. know, we had in the building, didn't really like. Would, I mean, would he be... The best player on defensive line, yes, but would he be like 5% better than the next five guys? Probably also, yes. And, we, you know, uh, he, he's an interesting guy. He's a lot like – if you remember years ago, I made fun of the Damon Harrison uh, move because, yes. like, all right, you know, a guy who had no value as a pass rusher and really plays first and occasionally second down in a league where fewer and fewer teams are running the ball, like, that's a valueless player, except, oh, like, he's the best run stuffer in the history of the NFL you know, which basically you'd have to be to have value of that. But like, obviously that worked out. And even last year when he was just okay, like he was so frustrated that he wasn't elite, uh, probably still has NFL skills. Um, Leonard Williams, yes. Leonard Williams, I don't know if it's effort. It's very strange. The same way that the Jets had um, Mo Wilkerson and, Sh and Sheldon Richardson who flashed big and then, then seemed to get worse the second the Jets handed the money. Leonard Williams like never even hit that high, high, honestly. So what do you see from Leonard last year? And are you, are you like, have you given up on him? Do you think like, all right, he's, he's like a jag, just another guy. What do you think? And so Leonard Williams will always be synonymous with one of the worst trades I could have imagined. It was the most senseless trade. It was a fireable offense on the spot, as far as I was concerned, for Dave Gettleman. I cannot believe he still has a job after the numerous gigantic blunders that he has made as, as a general manager. Really being, capping off with Leonard, the Leonard Williams trade, which made no sense. So... Leonard Williams as a player is, like you said, he's good. He's, he's good against the run. He's more of an end than a nose tackle, um, a 4-3 a end, than, than a no, uh, sorry, 3-4 end, um, than a nose tackle. Um, and he is good against the run. The difference between him and the Damon Harrison is Damon Harrison really doesn't have any use on the field in third down. Leonard Williams famously is very good at getting, getting hurries. He doesn't quite get to the quarterback, but he gets near the quarterback. Um, and that people have been pointing out for years how, like, that's a sign he's going to break out at some point and it hasn't happened yet. And it's probably not going to happen now. Um, but he still is a, a very good player, uh, a guy you want on your defense. You just not a guy that you want for, you want to give up a third and fifth round pick for in a year where you're not going to the playoffs anyway. And not a guy you really want to pay $16 million a year to, which the giants had to, because after making that atrocious trade, we're literally held over a barrel by him as far as contract negotiation and had no choice, but to franchise tag him. Um, so he is the, the big name on this defense, I guess you would say. Um, but this isn't really a defense with any names. Um, he, he is, a yeah, I, I was, was one of my notes is this is the biggest no name defense in the league. Uh, Len Williams and Jabril Peppers are like the only players that, I mean, I guess if you're, you know, you watch enough games like Blake Martinez's name, maybe, you know, from the Packers, but this is one of the more known in defenses, you know, it, yeah, I mean, probably Marcus 32nd Gold out of 32 in the Marcus league. Golden had, has two, two double digit sack seasons, but yeah. like not impressive double digit sack seasons, like the kind that you. And they're, and they're, and they're in Arizona in, in anonymity also, like, you know, playing right. on the other side of Chandler Jones. Right. So, I mean, he had an injury right before becoming a free agent also, which led to a lot of it, but, but yeah, this is a no name defense and it's not a good defense. It's, it's potentially a very bad defense. They're actually quite, and, and this is to the way that um, Dave Gettleman has built this defense. 
they're stout up the middle. They have a fantastic defensive, um, the interior defensive line group with Dexter Lawrence, who was a first round pick last year, Dalvin Tomlinson, who's pretty unknown, but is a really good player. Um, who is, uh, they have, he's basically listed as their nose tackle right now, but it'll be a bit of a, they'll mix guys around, move guys around on the front three. Um, he was the second round pick a few years ago, uh, and Leonard Williams. And then up the middle, they get, they just signed Blake Martinez to play inside linebacker there. They have an inside linebacker from last year who named Ryan Connolly. He played two games. He was a fifth round pick who played two games before carrying his ACL. Uh, but he was an incredible in those two games. And hopefully he'll be back healthy uh, to start this season um, to, to work with Martinez in the middle there. Um, but around the, ed- around the edges and uh, the boundaries, you know, which is where the game is played right now, you, know, you either need a pass rush or you need cornerbacks. They, are, they could not possibly be worse. It is, it is the most atrocious group of pass rushers and cornerbacks you can imagine. And, and then they, they lost their best reason. one to a robbery. Sorry? Then they lost their, their number one corner to a robbery. Yeah, so they went out in the offseason and they signed uh, James Bradbury. They spent a lot of money on him from Carolina, who he was with Gettleman in Carolina. Uh, he's, a, he's, a good, he's a very good number one corner. He's not a, a very good corner, actually. Not a very good number one corner. He's maybe in like a second tier of, of corners in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he's good. Um, and after that, their number two this year was supposed to be the first-round pick last year, uh, DeAndre Baker, who famously was a part of – not only did he um, rob people at gunpoint in a bar – but he also very obviously went around and tried to cover it up by having his lawyer, you know, openly reaching out to the victims to tell them to recant their story. Who stories. among us hasn't done something like and that? And really, I don't like judge him. Really, really weird stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's really just a sad situation more than anything else. You know, one year in the league, he was atrocious last year, but had potential, and now he's gone. The next, the next man up was supposed to be uh, Sam Beal, who was the supplementary pick two years ago in the third round. Um, and he was injured most of the last two years, and he was supposed to step in. He decided to opt out of the season, um, which basically leaves the Giants, their official starting uh, outside corner, cornerback on the other side of James Bradbury is Corey Ballantyne, who was a sixth-round pick last year out of Washburn. So that mm-hmm. basically sums it up. Um, he's, their, he's the next man up. Um, they have Julian and, and like Love. you said, there's no replacements because they, you know, there is, you know, they drafted uh, McKinney, right? But they, there's nobody else they draft. There's really nobody else they signed. Right. There's so they just have, not a lot of guys who aren't waiver wire material that could come in and play. Right. So they have Julian Love, who they drafted in the fourth round last year, who actually played safety last season and was, and was pretty good. Um, they could put him outside, but he's really not such a good corner, which is why he's playing safety. Um, they have their fourth round pick, Darnay Holmes, who is like a teeny little guy. Um, and people are concerned he may not hold up as a corner uh, at the NFL level, um, but was top recruit coming out of high school and was a good college player up until last year. Um, so they're hoping to get – the assumption was he was gonna be, he's going to be the nickel corner. Um, but, again, he's never played before. He's a very small guy. Julian Love hasn't done it. Corey Valentine has looked terrible in times that he's played. Like, this team basically has no answers right now um, at cornerback. It, it's going to be really, really bad. And without having a pass rush to get to the quarterback – uh, faster so that you can at least give them, you know, force a bad throw or something. Their, their, um, their edge rushers are, you know, Marcus Golden, Kyler Fackrell, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez. Stop me if you've heard of any of these people before. Um, it's really uh, – this defense, you know, you're not going to be able to run against them, but you won't need to because there's no way for them to stop any, any pass. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not an elite QB division, right, with mm-hmm. Wentz, Haskins, and Dak. I mean, it's it's fine. It's good. You know, Haskins isn't great. The other two guys are, are you know, Has- Wentz is at least average. Dak is definitely way above average. Uh, and, and the Cowboys have maybe the best receiving unit. The Eagles are fine. The Redskins have one guy. Well, I, I'm sorry for saying that. We're watching as one guy. Um, the, uh, but I wanted to, uh, to end with the win total. Uh, six and a half. There's only four teams lower. They're in the same boat as, I think, the Lions and, and uh, Miami at, at six and a half. The Jets, in some places, you could even get at seven uh, if, you, if you wanted to bet the under. So uh, Vegas and, and the whole country at this point is pretty down on the Giants' chances. Are you going over or under six and a half wins for the 2020? Before the cornerback situation got really bad, I was thinking there was a chance they could get there. Now I, th- I am definite under. Barring, you know, look, with this year with COVID, who knows, people just dropping and not being able to play. If they get lucky with the schedule in that way, maybe they have a chance. If not, I think they're going to get another top five pick this year. I think this is just offenses to the, they have no depth. The defense is going to be real bad. And uh, hopefully, you know, look, the bright spot is the offense will be able to throw the ball a lot. You know, hopefully we'll see some, some improvement from Daniel Jones, Darius Slayton, Barkley can look good. You know, they could play a lot of shootouts this year. Um, but this... <laughs>